What's up, everything? It's Tuesday, October 10th, as I speak, and the Blues have just won their fourth straight game. Eight points is a great start to the season by any standard. We'll break down the games and discuss the highs and lows, as well as storylines to watch out for. We'll also discuss the Blues' deal with the San Antonio Rampage of the AHL, whereby they secured their minor hockey partnership for the foreseeable future. Then we'll look ahead to upcoming games on the slate. All that and more for you this week, so let's get started and let's go Blues. Welcome back to the Two Guys No Cup podcast. It is Tuesday, October 10th, as we've already said, and we're here celebrating yet another Blues victory. Uh, Ian, how are you doing in the light of the Blues opening season and whatever else is going on in your life? Fantastic. Excellent. That's four in a row. That's the second best start they've had. Ties franchise best, four and a. That's pretty good. Nothing to complain about. Well, there's plenty to complain about, and we'll We'll complain about all of it. Uh, But let's have an overall positive tone. We need to keep this one positive because when the other shoe drops, we'll be very forlorn and depressed. (laughs) Uh, So you're going up to Minneapolis to see a Queen of Queens of the Stone Age concert. Uh Are you psyched? Are I'm you pretty excited? excited. I've, already, I've already seen them once, but I'm yes, I'm excited. I think we maybe mentioned this last week, I don't know, but that's why we're recording a little bit early. Um, I will probably give thoughts on Florida, Florida's game, the Blues game, <laughs> against the Florida Panthers on Thursday and just kind of post those at the end of this as a little solo add-on, and then we'll put it up Thursday. Uh, and you won't know the difference, except that Ian won't be talking. But uh, <laughs> we're going to record this together for the three games we have to cover. So, yeah, so the Blues are off to a hot start, and we're going to talk about all of that. But there's actually some fairly major uh, hockey news, NHL news to talk about. The big news item that came out probably an hour after we posted, recorded last night's <laughs> podcast, last week's podcast was that the Buffalo Sabres inked their star center Jack Eichel to an eight-year, $10 million per year contract. That's eight years at $80 million. Uh, Pretty huge extension for a player that has played one-and-a-half NHL seasons, pretty much. He was really injured last year. Uh, But I will look up the stats now. I remember looking them up at the time, and he actually... Had already, he pretty much matched uh, what he did in his first full season. He almost mm. exactly matched it in his injured season last year. Yeah, so well, obviously, Jack Eichel's, uh, you know, the, everyone in the league is very high on Jack Eichel. He was the queer number two to Connor McDavid mm-hmm. and clearly above everyone else in that draft class. No, no doubt about his talent. But what do you think about this signing? That is a pretty big commitment to a guy who is proven in terms of draft capital and reputation, but not necessarily proven at the NHL level. 
Yeah, Jack Eichel deserves $10 million a year like he's going to be getting over the next eight years. But they're paying for hope. Mm-hmm. They're paying for future points, which I, you do with other players too. But this is a, a huge contract for somebody that hasn't gotten there yet. Probably will. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying he won't. But it, there is a little more risk involved with it. I would think. Right. I would expect him to get 80 points to be a point per game player this year. Mm-hmm. And I would think if you get anything under that, you might look at this maybe just first year. I guess it's an extension. It's not this year. Um, you might be a little hesitant with what just happened. Mm-hmm. I think he'll live up to it. It just kind of it's it's a it's a Connor McDavid post Connor McDavid contract. Yeah, and if, I mean more than anyone else, Eichel's destiny was tied to Connor McDavid, mm-hmm. and will be pretty much probably for the rest of their careers. Um, so just looking at some of the stats, Eichel in 2015-16 when he was 19 years old. Uh, recorded 56 points in 81 games. Last year, he played 61 games, but actually recorded 57 points, so that's one more point and almost a point-per-game pace. And this year in three games, he has three points. So like you said, he's probably a point-per-game player. Uh, The one big, really Mm. big question mark with Eichel is he's got a pretty terrible face-off percentage. He plays center, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, taken, he's at a career 40.1%, and it's not up dramatically through, obviously, just three games this season. Um, But, for instance, last year he took, uh, I'm not great at math on the fly, he took 890-ish face-offs and won 310 of them. 790-ish, sorry, Mm -hmm. that would be even worse. But yeah, (laughs) I told you I wasn't good at math on the fly. But yeah, 796 face-offs, won 310 of them uh, for a percentage of 38.9. If my math is still failing me, the math majors (laughs) in our audience can correct me. But that's a really, the 38.9 is the thing that really matters. That's something he has to get up if he wants to be. Sub 40 for a center, an actual center is terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but it really is. That's the thing. He, he kind of makes up for it in point production. Uh-huh. But if you're paying him $10 million, you want that face-off percentage to at least be like league average. Right. They do have Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. Who's, who's a fantastic incredibly face-off. Incredibly good face-off yeah. guy. Person. <laughs> that was weirdly phrased for both of us. So interestingly, this is just kind of a fun fact in hindsight. Uh Eichel actually finished fourth in the Calder Trophy voting that year, and I, and McDavid did not win it. Uh, they he finished third, uh, right ahead of Dylan Larkin. Uh, but the winner that year was the bread man, Artemi Panarin, who wow I forgot about recorded that. a preposterous seventy seven points. How gross was that for us as as Blues fans to see this guy? That just Taras- tear it up. That Tarasenko and then all the Tarasenko try to here. bring him here, sort of things. And uh, Shane Gostisbehere finished second that year, so that's kind of an interesting footnote to history. But uh, was that that's the that Conor McDavid broke his collarbone, right? Yeah. So yeah. Would, I would have, I would think it would have been his if he right. played a full season. But that trophy to me has been somewhat invalidated by the fact that Barrett Jackman ever won it. Much love to Barrett mm-hmm. Jackman, but he stole it from Henrik Zetterberg. Henrik Zetterberg, yeah, I think both of them uh, were maybe rookies that year, but. Yeah, in any case, um, just a fun footnote. Eichel signing, like you said, probably a sure thing 
probably fine, probably nothing we're even batting an eye, batting an eye at in three or four years, but uh, certainly a little more risky than McDavid's was. Uh, the contract that I really loved that was signed this past week was uh, the Jets extending young winger Nikolai Ehlers to a seven-year, $42 million contract. That's an average of $6 million per year. Uh, this is one where I see the the floor on the value for this thing being very good value, mm-hmm. and the ceiling could be astronomical. I think Ehlers is a really, really talented young player, and he fits well into that young core of Shifla and Line A and um, those guys, and mm-hmm. and you know alongside their other stars like Bufflin and Brian Little, who aren't as young. Uh, and we've talked about the Jets before. We're not exactly sure why they can't seem to put it all together and De- at defense, least be a playoff team. Defense and goalies. Yeah, but um, they've got 64, a lot of forward yeah. talent. Ehlers had 64 points in 82 games last year. Yeah. And $6 is, million for that is not bad, especially in the as you mentioned, the mm-hmm. post-McDavid era. Yeah, if, he is, if he's a 60-point player for the rest of his that eight-year contract, mm-hmm. that's still a good deal. And, and I'm guessing it's going to be better. He's only 21 this year. He's got four points in three games. He was drafted. He had a hat trick the other day. Uh, does it say on here? I do not see his draft position on here. I'll look it up. But he's definitely a bright young player. And this, this I'm kind of surprised he signed for this, honestly. I wonder if it's a situation where he... Uh, loved playing alongside of Line A and wanted to put him mm-hmm. put the Jets in a position where they could keep them both for a long time, and then they could follow Jason Bourne. <laughs> As uh, we talked about last year, he was drafted ninth overall in 2014, so obviously not an out of nowhere pick. Uh, right behind Bill Nylander and ahead of Nicholas or Nick Ritchie, but yeah, so uh, I love this deal. To stop rambling on about it, we can move on, but I think it's a great deal for the Jets. Awful for us. Awful for us. Kind of <laughs> awful for Ehlers, but I like I as a you know, as a kind of old timey person, I like the idea of a guy mm. taking a, a team friendly contract. So I, I think it's a good thing to mention too that maybe this kind of reins in a few other players with that production level from asking for the moon. And yeah, that's as we said, the post McDavid era, they can go, well, you got sixty points like Ehlers, we'll give you a six, seven mil. Yeah. Him, him and Pasternak actually. So Right. And it doesn't matter now because of the injury, but you look at a player like Ravi Fabry, mm-hmm. uh I don't think he could even if he'd had a really good season, I don't think he could have argued for Ehlers' money, probably. Mm-hmm. And so you would think this would knock him down to like $5 million a season had he been healthy. So it is interesting to think about the implications. Uh, moving on, and we'll just touch on these briefly, the uh, Anaheim Ducks signed defenseman Josh Manson for four years, $16.4 million. Uh, he's a, a really good young defenseman. He's a really heavy player really uh, puts the body on people 227 hits last year Uh, just 17 points but he's a defenseman they don't all have to score points Uh, that's a fine deal for a kind of a a better Roman Polak type player yeah and then the Florida Panthers uh, signed Mike Matheson who was a high draft capital guy I think it was a top 10 pick a few years ago mm-hmm. um, to an eight-year, $4.875 million contract, which is a really 
team-friendly extension, probably assuming that he keeps producing at a good level. He's not a flashy defensive player, obviously, or he'd be getting a better deal than that, but he's a good, stable young defenseman to pair with Aaron Ekblad. Uh, So before we move on to the uh, Blues game specifically, I just thought we'd take a quick look at the NHL standings. And obviously we're recording this on Tuesday night, so some games are in process. Some are completed. Some teams have played more than Mm -hmm. others. But uh, you're looking at teams that are undefeated so far, include the Maple Leafs, uh, the Devils won their first two games, um, and the Capitals have an overtime loss, but they're leading their division. The Red Wings also won their first two games. Ooh. Um, so obviously a cup contender. <laughs> um, teams that are really underperforming, the Penguins, we obviously know the Blues beat them, and then they just got slaughtered by the uh, Blackhawks. Yeah. Uh, but then they kind of righted the ship by beating Nashville. The Rangers just lost to the Blues. Um, Canadians and Senators and Bruins are all kind of off to weak starts in the Eastern Conference. The Western Conference, the Blues are leading with eight points at the moment, the Blackhawks in seven. The Avalanche have actually had a a pretty surprising Mm -hmm. start to the season, especially defensively. They hadn't allowed an even-strength goal through some point yesterday. I assume that's still true. They blanked the Bruins yesterday and beat them 4-0, I think maybe in Boston. Yeah, it Um, was in Boston. So that's a good start to the season. The Wild and Stars and Predators are all struggling and have yet to win a game. The Kings are tied with the Calgary Flames and the Las Vegas Golden Knights, who are the only career undefeated team in the NHL <laughs> right now. Uh, they're two and zero currently playing their home opener against the Avalanche or against the Coyotes, but. Yeah, that's a fun... I mean, I, mm-hmm. I wish the best for that team, especially after what happened in their city. It'd be cool. Even if they just stuck a toe into the playoffs, that'd be a really cool opening season. I doubt it happens. Uh, Mark mm-hmm. Flory's been playing out of his mind. James Neal has scored every game-winning goal. Uh, but it's good to see them succeed. It's good to have an expansion team come in and at least be able to lace up their skates yeah. with other NHL teams and not be just a, a whipping boy. Not yet. Uh, and the Sharks and Oilers are also in the bottom three of that division. So a lot of teams that we would expect to see really be strong so far through the season are really struggling. Obviously, you don't want to make mountains out of mo- mole hills uh, this early on. But as we'll talk about a lot, as kind of the narrative of our episode today will be, Eight points is eight points no matter when you get them. And so to Mm. see the Blues already, you know, seven points ahead of the Wild, eight points ahead of the Stars and Predators, yes, they've played fewer games, but still... It's it's an yeah. advantage, you know. You want the you want the early season cushion. Yeah, exactly. You never uh, you don't want to forget that year. It's been a few years now, but the Blues really collapsed Oof. at the end of the season. And granted, they did nothing in the playoffs, but they still made the playoffs because they had amassed a lot of points early on. So it's always such a kick to the stomach. Yes, because I think we missed winning the Western Conference, at least the Central. Mm-hmm. By like a point. Yeah. So if we just won any of those like last eight games. Yeah. And was that the year we had Miller? It was 2014, I think. 
So, so yes, yeah. I want to say, say that was yeah. the year we yeah. had Miller. Uh, yeah, it was not a auspicious end of the season for sure. Uh, so before we move on to game recaps, we want to talk about the the unsurprising but significant news that came out about the Blues AHL situation today. Uh, we've known for a while that the Blues and the San Antonio Rampage, <laughs> I can't say it normally, uh, the Rampage of San Antonio who have been the Colorado Avalanche affiliate, we've known for a while that they were going to become the Blues affiliate. Uh, the AH- AHL is probably going to add a USHL team, I think, in Colorado that's, Springs. That's the Colorado Eagles. They're, um, they're already moving up next year. Announced. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the Blues announced today a five-year partnership ship with the Rampage. Uh, a couple of things to take note about this. The Rampage's owner is the owner of the San Antonio Spurs, mm-hmm. and the Rampage actually play in the Spurs building. Oh, I now, know that. Now, that doesn't necessarily matter in any way, except that the Spurs are obviously a really well-run organization mm-hmm. from the top down. And I, I, get, I don't know that it really matters, but I feel like it's something of an advantage for players to play in a big, you know, full-sized mm-hmm. arena rather than kind of a mid-sized uh, re- venue. Mm-hmm. It can't be a bad thing, even mm-hmm. though it's going to be, you know, half-empty most of the time and all that. It can't hurt. Um, I, I heard that owners, yeah, they do a good job of keeping the team up, and they're very... They're hands-on when they need to be, but they're kind of hands-off because they're not necessarily hockey knowledgeable. Yeah. So they let the team that's partnered with them run the ship a lot more right. than, say, maybe the Wolves or someone. And that is the big deal here. Apart from the five-year deal, which I think offers a lot of stability, and the Blues have moved around from Peoria to the Wolves and now to this weird nebulous situation <laughs> they had this year, it's good to have that stability. But the big... Big news item here, I think, is that uh, Doug Armstrong very explicitly said the Blues have full control of hockey operations, mm-hmm. and the Rampage maintained full control of you know business operations, facilities, mm-hmm. logos, I guess, that sort of stuff. <laughs> but um, what that means is the Blues get to bring in their coaches, they get to bring in their players, they get to specify ice time, and really just set out all that agenda so that it really functions like a minor league team should, like an A triple A team would in baseball, where it's really part of the organization. And there's this holistic concept of who's being groomed in what way, who's playing with whom, Mm -hmm. those sorts of things. Uh, Which is something we certainly don't have this year with the weird situation, but it's Something I don't think we fully ever have with the Wolves because, like you said, the Wolves are a pretty independent team, mm-hmm. a well-run team, but they've had some players and people. They're, they're trying to be their own thing in the AHL, so I think that's just great. I don't think it's abnormal necessarily, but I think it's great for the Blues to be able to get that, especially with all the young talent they seem to have in their organization. They can send... You know, whether they want to send Berube back there, I doubt mm-hmm. he'll probably want to do it at this point, but whoever they want to send down there, they can have their guy coaching their players their way. I think it looks even better now for the players that are there currently now, too. Yeah. Guys like Costum and stuff that, yeah. you know, God forbid that they're there next year, too, but they, they'll they they'll have some... there right now. <laughs> yeah, they'll have some familiarity with the place and the team and the location and just teammates and everything already so they kind of get a head start yeah yeah it can't hurt and 
The one thing, I, I doesn't really matter because it's 2017 and this is probably an old school way of thinking, but San Antonio does feel like kind of a, a distance from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. The people who need to get there will get there and they'll get back and forth and things, but it was nice to have a team ride up, you know, Peoria's three hours by car. Mm-hmm. It would have been so nice but, to have that Kansas City team that they were yeah, talking about. Yeah, that would have been really cool. For sure. But this is fine. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is fine. You get those, you convert those Texas fans yeah. over We'll have to drive down for a game sometime and see. I've never been into the, the state river, of Texas. The Riverwalk so, yeah. and stuff. It's a cool town for sure. See the Alamo. That'd be cool. Uh, put it on the calendar, producer, we don't have. Um, he's just quiet. Yeah, he's just very quiet. Mm-hmm. His name's... Tim. Tim. <laughs> Tim the producer. Uh, we love Tim. Um, so moving on now to the meat of the podcast. So meaty this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have... <laughs> <laughs> We have three games to talk about. Uh, we're going to start with what's fresh on the top of our minds, which is the game we just finished watching against the uh, New York Rangers. The Blues defeat the Rangers in Madison Square Garden 3-1 to one, uh, with goals from Gunnarsson, Braden Shin, and Jaden Schwartz on an empty netter. Uh, all three scoring their second goal of the season. Yes, even Carl Gunnarsson, <laughs> who scored zero last year. Um, this is a win for the Blues. <laughs> it's not a good uh-huh. win. It's not a pretty win. It's not a clean win. But as we have said and will continue to say, it is two solid points in the book. And um, look, the Blues got heavily outshot by the end of this game. I ha- I'll look at the final number, but it was around the 30 to 20 plateau that we've kind of been Mm -hmm. running lately. I think we held them to... We kept pace till the third. Fewer than we have in the past few games, but enough that it was still troublesome. They widened the gap in the third period, for sure. Yeah. um, That is something we're going to have to talk about for sure in terms of uh, things the Blues need to address where the heck are shots on NHL.com? We'll find it. Um, I think the they just look sloppy generally, I think. I mean, did you notice that as you watched the game that the Blues just kind of looked yeah. sloppy? It was 33 Rangers shots to 23 Blues shots. 33, so there's a stat running. So every game now, these last four games, have been, we haven't, been able to limit a team to under 33 shots. Every team's gotten 33 or more. Yeah. And so that can use, continues to be the case. Um, Carter Hutton looked really good. I thought he had a really good performance. That's one of those nice things you can save when you're heavily outshot but win. Mm-hmm. He had some really big saves. Carter Hutton looked great. I actually I want to talk about Carter Hutton for a second, not to dwell on this, and it's early mm-hmm. in the season. I'm really intrigued uh, this would maybe my heart talking more than my head because I think I, I just love Carter Hutton, Hutton as a person. He's so fun when he does interviews and stuff. I'm interested to see what the Blues goalie situation looks like after this year because Billy Huso is probably ready to be an NHL backup now in terms of talent level. Mm-hmm. It's probably not what's best for him in terms of getting regular playing maybe, time. Or maybe mentally even. Um, but... Carter Hutton is kind of an ideal 
backup goalie, I feel like, more so than Brian Elliott ever was because it's Elliott flashed well enough that he always kind of threatened the starter, mm-hmm. you know, whereas I don't think that's as true of Hutton, and I think Hutton just has a different personality. So I love Hutton, but it'll be interesting to see whether um, he comes back or whether they just cut ties with him. And I think it'll be interesting as the season progresses and we see how Huso does to see if the Blues maybe consider trading him because there are always teams that are desperate for a goalie. And if you get to a point, I think, and there's a weird sense in which you'd rather kind of ride Huso or somebody if there was like a devastating injury to Allen and just see what the upside was. But that's all something we can talk about later. My, I just, I like Hutton a lot, is my, what I'm yeah, trying to say. My guess would be conservatively, so probably going to happen is that they sign Huso, or Huso, they sign Hutton to one more year yeah. and keep Huso down in the AHL. And then maybe next year is kind of their weird transition year. Because like you said, they really yeah, want to get Huso those big minutes. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fine. Um, I think the Blues situation is just interesting goalkeeping for the next few years. Because Allen's... It's, it's looked better than it has. <laughs> it does. It does for sure. There's a lot of options. There's, As it has been in the past, there's too many options. The news now is that they're good options instead of, like, shaky <laughs> options. So uh, we'll see. We'll talk about that more as the season moves on. Um, I think Vince Dunn in this game, from what I saw, looked like he's starting to get his feet under him a little bit. He's still a more making some mistakes. That's to be expected. But he's starting to – you're starting to hear his name in good ways instead of just – bad ones. He got close to his first goal. Yeah, I think both both he and Thompson had really good Ooh, yeah. opportunities. I think Thompson's actually looked like quietly good. Yeah. Uh, throughout yeah. maybe maybe not the first game, but these last three he has and he's he's getting away with a few dangles and I think it helps cuz he's just got such a huge like condor like reach. <laughs> um I'm condor. Just, Can we call him the condor, the condor now? I love it. I'm down with that. <laughs> the condor. Tage the Condor. Put it on Thompson. the board. Tage the Condor. Thompson. I'm. i just really looking forward to his first goal. It I don't reminds know what me. Noise Condors makes. It's make, probably like, but I'm gonna assume Kakar. Kakar. Yeah, that's all birds of prey. <laughs> um, it reminds me of Robbie Fabry. Robbie Fabry scored his first goal in this first game, but then after that he kind of went on a little drought. Is a rookie season, but I remember he seemed to be everywhere, and it was one yeah. of those things where he's just waiting to break through and. Maybe not with the same tenacity that Robbie had, but Tage feels like I'm hearing his name enough and he's in the play enough and in the right spot, so I'm just waiting for that first goal. We drafted him last year, so you know, two mm-hmm. two drafts ago, kind of the the last draft before this most recent one. I think the Blues have had a really good history lately of getting people NHL ready, whether they are intentionally pursuing draft people that are NHL-ish ready mm-hmm. or whether they're just really good at developing. I think Thompson's making a case for staying here longer term. I don't think the same is true of Dunn necessarily when Bo Meester gets healthy. Mm-hmm. We'll see, but I would assume Dunn will be sent down and Prosser will be kept. It makes the most sense. They'll keep Gunnarsson and and uh, Bortuzzo out there, but we'll see. But I think Thompson, more than Dunn, is looking really great, and that's not to 
try and belittle Dunn in any way. I just think Thompson's looked pretty good. And like you said, he's been all over the place. He just has less responsibility, too, you know, yeah. just being a forward rather than a defenseman. Yeah. Speaking of people that have been all over the place, that Jay Bray, I've seen it called on Twitter, the Shin and... and uh, I don't know if I'm behind that. You're not sure yet? Um, the, jur- the jury is out for me. Schwartz? I don't know how to make it. It's the same name. <laughs> the same last name. It's just different noises. But they've looked great. They've had really great chemistry since day one. And that's impressive when I don't know that they have any familiarity with each other. I mean, hockey is a pretty small wor- world, tends to be. But they, were right off the hop, have had a ton of chemistry, have really been creative playmakers. And that's, I think, what the Blues have really been lacking. For sure. In the last few years is that really dynamic threat beyond... Tarasenko, and if that comes from two guys that have chemistry together and can become a dual threat, kind of like a, and hear me pump the brakes on saying this, but kind of like how Hall and Oates had this unique what chemistry are you with each other, <laughs> not that they're on that level at all, but they were really in sync with each other on mm-hmm. top of just being phenomenal players on their own in their own rights. Um, that'd be great for that second line. Uh, so overall. In this game, it didn't feel like a great win, Mm -hmm. but it's a road win early in the season, and that's why it counts, and that's fine. You know, so you kind of you'll take sloppy wins on the road more than at home, you know. Right, and you'll take sloppy wins. Oh, you'll take sloppy wins. I'll take I'll take slop all the way to the cup. Right, exactly. But yeah, definitely, we don't want to be overly positive and just say it's all roses because mm. we have eight points because there have been some things to uh, discuss. And before we move on to the Stars game, I did want to bring up one thing I was looking up earlier today, um, which is the Blues uh, shot statistics so far in this season. Uh, and no bueno. obviously... This is through three games for some teams, four games for others, two for others. So it's hard to, you know, you don't want to make a big deal out of it. But uh, looking it up, they, when they scored their second goal today, they had four goals or two goals on four shots, which is great conversion percentage, but it was only two, four shots through like most of the first period. Mm-hmm. Um, they are currently tied for 25th in shots per game. Uh, they're tied for fourth worst in shots allowed, averaging 38.3. That was at the start of today's game, so it came down a little, but not a lot with the 33. Um, the big, bigly, <laughs> bigly concerning one, uh, the very concerning one is that their shot differential this season has averaged negative 11.3, uh, which is tied for or is, is second to last behind only the Coyotes. Um, they're eighth in goals per game, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, they're converting a very high percentage of their shots, though, to get to that. You know, if you're 25th in shots and eighth in goals, there's a disconnect yeah. there. And they're tied for eighth in penalty minutes, which I didn't end up following anyways, anywhere, so that's just a fun <laughs> factoid. Uh, but... You see in all of those trends combined, you worry that that's not sustainable mm-hmm. long term. You say we're 25th in shots for? Yeah. That feels like if we're 8th in goals, then that's a little bit of maybe luck. Yeah. And 
we saw that with the shin goal that like bounced off of mm-hmm. Monquist's back. That's not even really a shot. It's just kind of a miracle. Um, now, wh- one thing these stats never tell you, and there are more advanced metrics that I didn't dig into, there's no word on the quality of this shot, these shots, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things the Blues did really well, for example, in their, in their series with the Wild last year, is they allowed a ton of shots from the Wild, but they were all from extreme angles and way out at the point and not very good you know, shot opportunities. The quality of the shot was not very high, and so they didn't have a high conversion percentage. I don't think that's as true in these numbers. It could still be somewhat true. I'm just eyeball testing it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are definitely more good scoring opportunities than I felt like there were in the Wild Series. I just think it's something to keep an eye on. It's too early to draw any big conclusions from this. But when you look at a team that's won four games in a row but has done it in dubious fashion mm. with a lot of late collapses. You're waiting for that other shoot to drop. Yeah, this is kind of the, the thing you look at as sort of concerning. So... Uh, moving on from that, and we'll continue to discuss that in this game, no doubt. Uh, the Blues home opener, we're going to jump back to that and then talk about the uh, game with the Islanders last, the weird Columbus Day game. Um, the Blues home opener saw Ken Hitchcock, longtime Blues coach, return to St. Louis in his second game with the Stars. Um, he's never going to catch Al Arbor. It's never gonna <laughs> he's going to go zero and eighty-two. They're never going to win him a game. I feel I I'm to the point where I'm feeling bad about it. Like just let it happen. Do you think he the gets the guy. win? The wins, the win, or whatever, and he just walks away. He just <laughs> reti- retires like, immediately. Find my replacement. I'm out of here. Yeah, uh, could be. Yeah, Hitch returned to uh, St. Louis, where he promptly folded his arms in disgust, but with a different team <laughs> this time. So it was satisfying. It was so weird to see that. Um. The defense in this game, and this is a note from all three games for sure, uh, has been really active in the offensive zone, Mm -hmm. very present on the score sheet. I think we've had goals from defensemen in all of the games so far. I'm not sure about New York off the top of my head. No, we didn't because it was an overtime win, but... That's definitely a change. We used to pinch in. That used to be the the offense from the defenseman was either on the power play with Shattenkirk last year or defenseman pinching in, and that was about it because Hitch preached, like, we need somebody, we need people back right. immediately. Yeah. And it's nice to be able to see someone like on the Dallas game, um, the Edmondson goal, where he's already pinching in pretty much at the dots. And then you've got um, Petrangelo, I thought, had a really good, really good play on that for as far as like an assist went. Yeah. Just like vision for that. Yeah, and I think you you look at Shattenkirk leaving, you think we're going to lose production mm-hmm. from the defense. Um, we saw Edmondson kind of blossom offensively in the uh, playoffs last year, uh, come out of his shell a little bit. Gunnarsson has two goals so far. He could have none the rest of the season. We'd be he fine. Had none the rest <laughs> of last, he had none last season. Um, you'd love him to get to, like, 10. That would be a great mm-hmm. addition. But if you see, I think Petrangelo is the story of the year, to quote a, a local <laughs> St. Louis <laughs> band name. So far, I mean, through four games, I think he's having, I don't want to say a breakout season because it's so early and he's been so good. <laughs> it's hard to say when he's been around for so long. he really 
has just looked terrific in all aspects of the game. And he's a guy that I think has had offensive potential that he's never had to really tap into Mm because Shattenkirk was put in positions to do that. And I like that instead of kind of making the natural move, which is maybe just, you know, copy-paste the Shattenkirk model with Pareko, who has that really hard shot and maybe that higher offensive upside, I like that they're giving Petrangelo opportunities to quarterback the power play and things and he has looked great doing it he has two goals through three games three goals through three games i want to say three i think he had two and one and i'll look it up i can't remember but um he's got at least two he's got several goals already he's looked really good he's still defensively responsible and i wonder if you know, I think if he continues on anything like this pace and just quality of play, you have to talk about him for the Norris, at least as a candidate mm. at the end of the year, especially with Carlson missing time. Um, I think part of it, too, um, is him being paired with Edmondson. Uh-huh. I think it helps a lot better. I think I touched on this last last podcast, but when it's him and Bo Meester, even though Petrangelo is very good, and I'm sure he knows it, it seems like he defers a little bit. Yeah. They're both like a 50-50 split of who they are. But when he's get put Slap it. Yeah, when he's put with Edmondson, even though Edmondson has sort of come along with more of a offensive gift than I thought he would ever have, I think Petrangelo knows his role when it's those two. Mm-hmm. And so he's able to kind of step forward with a little more confidence to be able to go and try and contribute offensively. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh Petrangelo has two goals through four games, but he also has four points four assists. So six points total, uh, two power play points, and 17 shots, which is highest on the team by a wide margin. Wow. Uh, Schwartz has 11. He's next. Shen has nine. Uh, Vova Tarasenko has nine. So really just coming into his own a little bit as an offensive player, and I hope that is an intentional decision to equip him and put him in that position. As a Blues fan, I, you know, the headlines all go to Tarasenko, and with good reason. He's an incredible player, as we'll talk about in New York. Uh, well, not in New York, but when we, <laughs> he, when we touch on the New York He is actually, though, game. in New York. That's yeah, a different story. Yeah, he currently is New York, in New York, but that has nothing to do with our point. Um, but I really, as a Blue, Blues fan, kind of jealously want the league to recognize the gym we have in Petrangelo too. Pierre Maguire does. Uh, Pierre Maguire <laughs> does, but I don't th- I feel like he, the extent to which he talks about it betrays that a lot of people maybe don't because mm-hmm. he likes to kind of blab on more hidden gems. So uh, to move on from that, I just I love Petrangelo. I'd love to see him be a Norris finalist this year. Um this is another game where the Blues took a big 3-0 lead on Kari Lettinen early, who just is gar. He's just bad. Mm-hmm. He's just not a good goalie. He I was. Know, I don't know what happened. He really was. I mean, for a while, he really destroyed us for like a long, like a good period there, mm-hmm. and now he's not good. Just <laughs> slow, just not reacting to plays. Confidence. I mean, goal not is such a... Not even like yeah. making bad decisions, just kind of like he was in slow motion or something. Goalie is just such a mental a mental position <laughs> yeah, that your so. confidence good shot and you just don't look good physically. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, we got out-hustled. Late in the game, I guess. I mean, did you have observations on that more than just, 
hey, we kind of collapsed in the third period. Well, I think this is kind of cutting into the other game, too, and maybe even today's game at uh, Madison Square Garden. But whenever we are in the third period and we're trying to turtle, and maybe we're not trying to turtle, and it just so happens to be that way, our our defensemen like to sort of chip it out of the zone into our forwards, and it's rolling. It doesn't have a much you know horizontal velocity at all, and it catch it catches forwards sort of flat footed. They don't mm-hmm. have a lot of speed to go with, and then you're easily stripped of the puck like at center ice. And they can like they continue to do it every time. I see Bortuzzo. I'll see even Preco. They'll just flip it out, and I mean it relieves pressure. It gets you know your team out of the zone, out of your own zone, but you have no time to change. But they, temporarily. Yeah, yeah, it's the most temporary relief ever, mm-hmm. and they don't seem to be able to change that. There hasn't been a different yeah. strategy. And I this, think they try and get it along the boards. Is their theory is what they want to do, but they get pinched in on, and I think they're just afraid to put it up the center of the ice, which I understand is a risk for getting picked off, for sure. Yeah. But it's something that maybe you have a, more of a set defensive play where you're trying to catch a guy skating up, you know, that yeah. direction up the gut. Yeah, and, you know, this is a case of nothing new under the sun. The Blues have always, I mean, for as long as Ken Hitchcock's been here at least, they've been a, mm-hmm. a turtle team, early lead, <laughs> defensive. And, look, they're defensively responsible. You don't want to discredit that aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. They're obvious. I mean, they've obviously ultimately won all these games that they've tur. I mean, they've turtled in every game at some point. Mm-hmm. They've had the lead in every game before they, whether or not they ultimately lost it for a period. Mm-hmm. They always started with a lead. It's. I mean, they they regained it in Pittsburgh, but mm-hmm. but the point is not a surprise necessarily that they're turtling. Kind of disappointing that mm-hmm. they're doing it under Mike Yo as mm-hmm. much as they did it under Hitchcock. Yeah, and I think the thing is. You see them go up three nothing on Kari Lettinen, who was playing terribly. You got to capitalize, yeah. Them. There's obviously the very you know famous among blues fans Doug Armstrong quote about taking the knife and jamming it into their eye and into mm-hmm. their through their eye and Great into quote. their brain Great and killing quote. them. <laughs> we just, we still don't have it. We just even and, you know a home opener against the Stars is not like where that's most important. Mm. But it could have been five or six to nothing very easily. And when you look at a team like the Blackhawks who beat the Penguins, a very, <laughs> very high caliber team, 10 to one, I just don't think that's a mindset that the Blues have necessarily. Mm. And you'd like to see them foster it a little bit. Obviously, a 10 to one defeat over the Penguins has a lot to mm. do with the Penguins too. But... I just don't think that instinct is in the Blues to just keep piling on. Mm. And you'd like it to be. Yeah. You know? Well, you can see the argument, too, that people will make that, you know, the, and I, I agree with them slightly that the other team is behind, so they're going to push. And you would, you would kind of hope that as the opposing team's fan, you're like, come on, we're down. We expect you to, you know, put up something, some yeah. sort of effort. But that's the thing is when you're down 3-0, you can't stick to the same old, you know, we'll say stars game plan. You got to open it up a little, and that's when they're a little less defensively responsible. They're trying to push in the offensive zone. That's when you have the opportunity, you know, as the Blues, to bury them to get it four zero. Right. That's a lot. That's a lot worse than three zero, which seems really odd. But I'm telling you, three zero does not three zero does not matter early in a hockey no, game. No, it really doesn't. And we saw it almost in this game because yeah. they chipped away at it. Um, Shannon Schwartz looked great again in this game playing with Yask, and we failed to mention that tonight's was it tonight or tomorrow because the games were so close that they put Barbashev in. Was that that was in the Islanders game yesterday? They yep. took out 
Yaskin. And they they took out um, Thorburn. Thorburn, who was back tonight. And Sunquest. Sunquest. Okay, and put in Barbashev and Megan. Did they put? So I think they took Megan out. Megan tonight. back out for Thorburn. Okay. Yeah. Um, Shin's fineish at the face-off circle. Not great. Fifty percent, which is the very definition mm-hmm. of fine. It's he, he was literally fine. <laughs> he was a little worse today, but yeah. like I said, I didn't think he had as much playmaking potential as he's shown. Yeah. So that's upside that kind of negates the yeah. lesser face-off talent, I guess. Yeah. When you look it's at not us, Jack Eichel talent. When you look at the fact that we got rid of the Latera contract. Got Braden Shin and reacquired a first round pick. So we basically traded a one first round pick for Braden Shin and getting rid of the Latera contract. That deal could look great in a mm. few years. You never want to react too much, but um, for sure it could be good. Uh, the Dunn Bortuzzo line in this game looked a little questionable <laughs> at times, as we have already alluded to. It's one of those I things, don't know yeah. that Bortuzzo is the best person to pair a young defenseman with. No, no, He's not, not a all. defensive stalwart himself. I like Bortuzzo, but that's just not the game he plays. Mm. More of a hitter, kind of grinder type. Uh, so that's to be expected, but, you know, overall, it was, a, again, it was a win. Mm. It was a home opener win. Two points. Mm. There's all the positive. We're talking a lot of negatives. <laughs> the The headline is we're, we have eight points in four games. So, yeah. And and the good thing here is the one game that we, one of the two games that we didn't ultimately at least squander into overtime was the only one we played against a division team. I don't mm. really, or even a conference yeah. team. I don't really care if we, if we have to, ultimately win games in overtime. I'd rather it be against the exactly. Penguins and the Islanders. Um, so moving on to the Islanders game, which was strange. <laughs> Neither one of us got to see all of it because they decided to put it in noon because apparently some people get Columbus Day off. Thanks. <laughs> um, uh, we saw Tarasenko. This, you know, we saw the Tarasenko show this game. We mm-hmm. saw his ability to win a game single-handedly. Just a, a disgusting backhander on the first goal. I mean, he took a better backhand shot. Than most, like ninety percent of NHL players could ever take. That's an amazing shot. velocity. It was insane yeah. how good that goal was. Um, he scored technically all three goals in this game, mm-hmm. but he doesn't get credited with a hat trick because the third one was a shootout winner. Um, we saw. I don't know if it's the first in the league, but the first the Blues have encountered a coaches challenge penalty that we talked about earlier in this year Mm -hmm. on the second goal uh doug Waite tried to challenge that the puck crossed the line and on a really good petrangelo keep and just another great petrangelo play Mm. um and there was no queer evidence that it did obviously because it was over wasn't overturned they looked at it a long time for as little evidence as there was and maybe that's part of the initiative of this challenge of this rule which i still think is Pretty stupid. Um, but he lost the challenge. We were up 2 nothing at the time. That's another opportunity where you would really love us, love to see us dagger them. Exactly. And really skewer them for giving us that penalty and really punish them. We did not, and we did not punish them on an overtime penalty. Uh, that that pop- was pretty stupid. I forget what it was, a hook or a slasher. Oh, it was a trip over 
Grice's pads that was maybe not yeah. really a penalty. <laughs> that, that four, yeah, it was Petrangelo skating in on his own, and he tripped over the pads, and yeah. maybe that was because there was a shove behind. I don't yeah. know. Um, that four-on-three power play, though, was just Bumble City. Yeah, and we didn't say, we didn't mention that in the Rangers game, but they squandered a five-on-three today. That was also Bumble City. <sighs> Our power play has looked great when it scored. And really bad when it's not, for the most part. I feel like when we get that extra space, especially, like I said, the four-on-three and the Mm five-on-three, it's too too heady. We're just up there. We're trying to do something weird with it. They're just thinking about it. And on that final pass they want to make, oh, messed up. Yeah, and I think this, more than anything, actually explains the shot differential numbers we talked about. I still think the Blues are way too selective with their shots. They're trying to get way too creative and pretty with them. To some extent, I'm fine with that even strength that seems to be working largely. But when you're on the power play, you really want to see him just funnel pucks to the net. Mm-hmm. Get a guy like Shen in front of the net who has that That's big what he's body. there for. Um, put him there and just have him swatting at stuff. It looks like they want to create option create a power play sort of like washington where everybody knows the puck's going to ovechkin and you just still can't stop it in the same vein we want to do that with tarasenko the only problem is tarasenko not aggressive enough (laughs) to pull that off whereas ovechkin's leading the league in shots every year tarasenko has nine through four games um Mm. and that's fine i mean i'm i'm happy that he wants to be a creator too the problem is you can't run an Ovechkin-style power play if he's not willing to be an Ovechkin-style player, and they're just not pouring shots at the net. And Tarasenko, somewhat to his discredit, is not taking enough it's, it's, to really... It helps, or helps, it hurts, I guess, a little bit that he's more of a, a wrister, you know, yeah. that kind of shooter. So he needs a little setup time. He has had a few one-timers this yeah, early in the took, season. He took one yesterday while I was listening on the radio, and even either Twist or Curtis oh, yeah. said, wow, he took a one-timer. That's weird. So that was <laughs> that was encouraging. It's still amazing, though, that uh, I just the, our first power play unit, while they haven't necessarily looked, like we said, they've looked great when they scored, they've looked you know, eh, when they haven't. I just think the personnel on it is really good. It's just the addition of Shen. That's mm-hmm. Schwartz, Stasny, Shen, Tarasenko, and Petrangelo. That's that's a really good power play unit. I haven't really paid that close attention to our second unit. I don't think they've scored at all. Um, but that first unit's just, like, spectacular. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And our penalty kill has looked terrific. Um, yeah, we've needed it, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we sure have. We killed that. That's spot. the one. Those are the parts where the Scotty Upshaw signing, not that we sign him for a boatload of money, so it's not breaking the bank anyways, just looks, it looks really good. Yeah. Him and Brodziak we, have done a great job. And then they've even can thrown. Can you imagine yeah. if we hadn't signed him? That would have been, I, I just feel like it never made sense that we didn't. Or so. Or, or at least we never signed anyone that was like the new Scotty Upshaw. It feels like we've kept the same opinion, yet it's colored slightly differently <laughs> yeah, every just time. on the day. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And this is like a, a common sense, low impact signing. And it's either why did we do it, or I think like, we needed that's it. That's great, or, or what the heck, you know. Um, I've, I've been amazed that they put Schwartz and Shen out there. Not that Schwartz hasn't killed penalties, but it's it's just reinforcing that duo, which is kind of nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
the shootout we won in the shootout not great Shen um, scored so fast I didn't even see I still haven't seen the goal and I was watching at that point I looked down for like a second and it was already in Tarasenko scored um, and uh, Allen stopped Everlay and Beauvillier who I'd never heard of so you. it's not encouraging <laughs> that uh, they were making him their second power po- or penalty shootout guy but oh well so I guess I mean the the big storyline through th- four games in now is the turtling every game, which we've covered ad nauseum. Blues fans have known it for. We've seen it for season, millennia. Season. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you get used. To it. I don't want to dwell on that anymore. I think the problem is that with the upcoming games, we're not going to be so lucky if we decide to do that. Agreed. Uh, We play the Panthers on Thursday. That could, perhaps should be a win. Mm -hmm. Then we have a little bit of a tough schedule where we uh, go to the uh, Lightning on Saturday. Uh, So hopefully with, you know, a Thursday game in, in Miami, wherever the Panthers play. It's like Sunrise. Um, I think yeah. it is Miami area, though. And a Saturday game in uh, Tampa. Maybe the Blues get some time to relax in Florida early in the season, which would be good for morale and stuff. Um, but then they come back to play the Blackhawks on Monday, Wednesday night, the big Wednesday night rivalry game, mm-hmm. if you will. And they play immediately go to Colorado, who's playing pretty well, as we already mentioned, on Thursday. So it's not an easy slate of games coming up. And if you are taking third periods off against Tampa and Chicago, mm-hmm. you are not going to be winning those games. So yeah. <laughs> um, they definitely need to improve some things. Uh, they need to get a little fiercer on the power play. Uh, they need to be a little more defensively responsible. They're not making the cleanest Mm -hmm. transitions out of the zone, I think, a lot, especially when it's on Dunn or one of the younger guys to kind of get that done, no pun intended. (laughs) Um, I would... I've thought we were going to lose every game just because we need to lose one eventually. (laughs) Such a downer. I would now expect us to beat the Panthers, probably lose to the Lightning, and then Chicago's a toss-up always. Yeah, we play them tough. Uh, I'll I mean, say they win get up for that excitement. That's a that's an OT winner for sure. I see. Then then followed by the letdown loss that's to a, Colorado. For I was, sure. I was say I don't think you can look past Colorado, especially when we're talking third period collapses, because that's a high-powered yeah. offensive team. As we've said, we know they have talent offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's again the team like so we yeah, talked you about. You want to bury because of their defense. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, but it'll be interesting. We have possibly scheduling conflicts next Thursday. The two of us together, like a little sweet little date we're going on, <laughs> uh, to see John Mulaney, who's a wonderful comedian. If you have not seen him, look him up immediately. He's like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> says the man who I think introduced me to him, possibly. Not, not me. Uh, it wasn't you? Uh, <laughs> no, it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but yeah, he's coming to St. Louis. It's late Thursday night. There's a late-ish uh, game that night, so we haven't figured out whether we're going to record Tuesday or Friday or 
what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Or early Thursday and preview the Colorado game. We'll figure it out. Uh, keep us... Uh, in your prayers. <laughs> I realized what I was saying, and that was the only logical <laughs> conclusion. Uh, follow us on Twitter. That's what I meant to say. Uh, at Two Guys No Cup, and we'll keep you posted there. Um, you can, as always, like, subscribe, and review the show. If they're going to like us, what should they do? iTunes, and... They should smash that like button. They should, they should smash that like button. Uh, and Google Play. Um, I think that is all the news that we have to discuss, unless you have anything to add. That's all the games. Uh, following this awkward conclusion that we're going to come to at some point i will return as a solo (laughs) person to briefly discuss the hopefully win in florida and talk about the tweet of the week and some wrapping up stuff like that Uh, but for the time being we will sign off with eight points in hand that will still be in hand first in the central the final standings come out in april and will hopefully (laughs) propel us to a Hey, let's say a Central Division title. Who knows? Yeah, let's not be too. Let's not take too many Uh, steps. Let's always be happy. Let's end on a happy note because we've won four games and we've said a lot of negative stuff and not end because I'll be back and I'll probably be (laughs) super depressed about the four goal game from Jonathan Huberdeau, but not totally depressed because I have him in a fantasy league. So it's weird. But anyway, (laughs) until you hear me again shortly, goodbye. See ya. Excuse me, St. Louis Blues loss to the Florida Panthers. Uh, Ian, I think we have decided can never leave town again because these are the sorts of things that happen when he leaves town on a Thursday night. Uh, the Blues put up a pretty feckless effort tonight, honestly. For the most of this game, they were pretty dominated by the Panthers. I said coming in on Twitter that I thought it was going to be a trap game. I thought this was a game the Blues were very possibly likely to lose and lose big, and as it turns out, I was right. Um, I just think with the way they played on the road trip, as we've already talked about on this podcast, uh, we just couldn't expect necessarily them to get a win against a Florida team that is hot and young and fast and a lot of the things that the Blues aren't very good at handling and as it turns out, the Blues did not handle them very well, and they lost 5-2. to two. Uh, So some observations from this game. I think one of the things that was interesting, the big player who we just sort of watched blossom a little bit in this game was Vince Dunn, who we already talked about in the, in the first part of the podcast. I think he looked pretty... Pretty rough right at the start. Very early in the game, he committed a turnover in the neutral zone, and as a guy, as a, the Florida defenseman skated by him with the puck, he just turned over. Dunn kind of tackled him to make up for his mistake, which uh, they called a penalty on. Darren Pang and and some other people thought it looked like a pretty weak penalty, but to me it didn't look that weak. Um, and either way, he did enough that it could be called a penalty, and either way, on top of that, he turned the puck over. So... It was a not great play for Dunn, and I was kind of looking down on him a little bit. But by the end of this game, and I even wrote it in my notes, he had taken three or four really, really great shots on really good opportunities, 
and at the very end, well after it mattered for the Blues' point of view, but a great highlight of his career, he scored his first NHL goal on a really wicked wrister uh, against Roberto Luongo over his gloves. So Dunn is looking more and more the part of an NHL player. I think he obviously still has some growing to do. He's still very young. He's still very fresh in the league. But I think he looked um, really great towards the end of the game, especially in the offensive zone. He looked really dangerous. And the Blues continue to get a lot of points from their defense. I mean, they had a goal from Dunn tonight. They had points from Petrangelo um, again. And I just think the Blues have done a great job so far this season. Uh, Petrangelo actually got two points. He assisted both goals. Uh, I think they've done a great job so far this season just uh, whether it's been an intentional emphasis or not, getting defensive zone or offensive zone help from their defense. And I think it's worked really well for them. Uh, Alex Petrangelo is having a phenomenal season. He's playing out of his mind, as we already said, and um, he just continues to play well. Six points. There's two points tonight, which is his sixth assist of the season couple goals uh, already on the season obviously the game winner in Pittsburgh and just really incredible play on both sides of the ice he will definitely be a Norris finalist if not a winner if he continues to play like this tonight uh, like he played tonight for the rest of the season so uh, in the first period it was a pretty pretty back and forth game um, the uh, Blues killed back-to-back minors pretty early, but even with that, I don't think the penalty kill looked especially good in that stretch. They just managed to survive. Allen looked pretty solid through the first period. Um, I don't think any of the goals tonight were especially Allen's fault. I think he played a pretty good game, as good a game as a goalie can play when they surrender five goals. Um, but the defense and the penalty kill looked shaky all night. Uh, the power play looked terrific at points during this game. They had one in the first period, uh, really near the end, in the final three minutes or so, that was really strong. I don't know if the Panthers ever got the puck out of the zone, but they didn't convert on it. And so that was kind of the story of the whole night in a way, is that the Blues missed a couple of great opportunities with the power play and uh, it came back to haunt them a little bit. That said, I think they looked pretty good overall tonight. Uh, they had a huge missed opportunity in the second that we'll talk about momentarily. Um, one of the cool sub-notes of tonight's game is that Roberto Luongo, who's really well-liked and obviously pretty legendary hockey goalie for this era, uh, tied Curtis Joseph in career wins by beating the Blues tonight. Joseph, obviously, the goalie that the Blues very unwisely uh, let go of back in the day, but he spent a lot of time in St. Louis. So that was a cool footnote, to historic footnote to tonight's game. Um, the other observation from the first period, and this is just amusing of my own, is that the Johnny Londoff ad with Kelly Chase is truly terrible, and it needs to be removed from the air. Um, that's all I'll say about that for now, and we can move on. Uh, the second period... Saw Paul Stastny score early on the power play, which was a really sick goal where he kind of shot it across um, across uh, stat, across uh, Luongo's body and really forced the puck in from a, a weird angle with a weird shot. But it was a really good goal, very nicely set up by Petrangelo 
and Tarasenko. Um, unfortunately, uh, the Panthers equalized, I think, 11 seconds later. Ian McCaution uh, scored his first ever NHL goal uh, with assists from Connor Brickway and Nick Bugstad. Uh, just a kind of a lousy break. That one was a little bit on Allen. It wasn't a very good save from him. wasn't a particularly great shot and probably one he should have had, but obviously a momentum crusher for the Blues. I think there were two moments, that one and one we'll talk about here in a minute, that I think kind of killed the Blues' momentum in this game that they ever had at any point. Uh, Vincent Trochik scored a shorthanded goal on the power play on the Blues power play uh, shortly thereafter. And actually, that wasn't the momentum killer I meant to talk about because the Blues came out still on that same power play and looked pretty good. Uh, That was assisted by Colton Sevier. Uh, Really looked great on the power play even thereafter. Uh, But later in the period, they committed a uh, face-off infraction on Scotty Upshaw that was a very weak call, much weaker, I think, than the Dunn call that a lot of people criticized. And uh, on that power play, Jared McCann scored his second goal of the season, assisted by Verbata and Ekblad. And I think that was kind of the turning point of the game. They just didn't really look very good after that. Uh, Braden Shin had a goal taken away on a high stick. Uh, well, it was never called, but it was turned. It was immediately canceled on a high stick and reviewed, and they upheld the call. And then um, the real big failure, I think, of the night and of the game in terms of the power play is we had 63 seconds of a 5-on-3 late in the second period, and the Blues looked terrible on the 5-on-3. They have all year. They've looked much worse in this game on the 5-on-3 than they did in any of their other 5-on-4s. I don't know if it's not strategizing enough or what it is, but they just seem lost with that much space. Um, instead of just funneling pucks to the net, just pouring pucks at Luongo and the three defenders, they're still trying to get really creative and make that perfect pass and score that perfect, beautiful goal, which is great. But when you've got a five-on-three, you just have to get pucks to the net, and they were not doing that. Um, it looked really bad. And I think the statistics, I don't have them offhand, but the statistics for teams that fail to convert a five-on-three in a game are very poor in terms of winning percentage. Most teams that fail to convert a 5-on-3 in any given game uh, go on to lose that game, and the Blues certainly did tonight. Uh, That was kind of the sad end to the second period. I tweeted at the time that if they didn't convert on the 5-on-3, they were certainly going to lose, and they did. They failed to convert, and they ultimately did lose. Um, So... The third period was, I I was a little in and out at this point just because of personal depression and uh, fantasy players in the Thursday night football game, uh, to be perfectly honest. But uh, the uh, Blues surrendered two more goals, one to Aaron Ekblad, his first of the season, assisted by Jonathan Huberdeau and Alexander Barkov. Um, I talked a little bit on Twitter about how I think the uh, combination of Barkov and um, Aaron Ekblad may be the best pair of a defenseman and a forward under 23 on any team in the league. I didn't really go through every team to think about who might be other options, but that is just the... I think the uh, Panthers have an amazing young core to build on with those two. Vincent Trocek's really, really good, really underrated, great player. Um... They have Jonathan Huberdeau, who's kind of never quite 
peak to where maybe it was thought he might at one point, but is still a really solid young player. Uh, they added Dadanoff from the KHL, who looks to be pretty good, pretty fast. Um, just a lot of young talent there. There are names I'm forgetting, and um, I think they could be a special team for a while. It'll be interesting to see what they do in goal after Luongo retires. Uh, but for the time being, they're a really talented team. It's not embarrassing at all for the Blues to lose to them. They've won, I think, four or five this year or something. They've had a pretty good season, and they've got a lot of fast, young talent. And so you don't want to see the Blues lose any games, obviously, but to win four, including two straight in New York on a back-to-back, and then lose this one is pretty forgivable. Excuse me, the... uh, the Panthers, this says 2-1, and one, but I'm assuming that's not counting tonight. So they're 3-1 and one, uh, after beating the Blues tonight. There was an interesting moment where Jake Allen absolutely robbed a goal from Alexander Barkov. Uh, it, truth be told, he may not have saved the goal. Uh, they called it no goal on the ice, and then they showed, they, they reviewed it and replayed it several times, and it was really hard to tell. Uh, Allen's goal, Allen's glove, with which he saved the puck, obviously very clearly crossed the goal line, but it was impossible to ascertain where the puck was in the glove, so they couldn't uh, convincingly overturn it. But even if it was technically a goal, uh, it was called a no goal, and either way, it was a phenomenal save from Allen. He has that ability for sure to make that highlight reel incredible save. Uh, I would think that'll be a a possible save of the year candidate when it's all said and done, at least for the Blues. Um, So really great on his part, especially when it's already 4-1 to see him making the big plays. Uh, You like to see that from your goalie. Uh, Nick Bugstag put the final dagger in the Blues' heart, scoring his second of the season later in the third period, uh, assisted by McCann. And then, as we already discussed, uh, Vince Dunn finally buried a really pretty goal. You should definitely look up the highlight on that one. Um, who, uh, on a wrist shot over Luongo's glove, Luongo has a great glove hand. So that makes it extra special, I think, to score your first on an all-time great NHL goalie. Can't hurt. Um, and it was good to see Dunn kind of participate. So... We already talked about the games the Blues have coming up on the schedule. They're going to Tampa Bay next. Um, It'll be interesting to see. Tampa Bay is a really good team. It'll be really interesting to see how and if they bounce back from this on Saturday and uh, take, take it to Tampa Bay, who's playing very well. I think Tampa Bay beat the Penguins tonight, or they were at least leading at one point. So Tampa Bay is a great young team as well. Um, yeah, Tampa won 5-4 against the Penguins, so be interesting to see which of the two teams that beat the Penguins 5-4 will prevail on Saturday night. And then, of course, the big Wednesday night tilt against the Blackhawks at home uh, will be a game we're all circling on our calendars and looking forward to. Kind of, I think um, you can look at that game, and certainly after the Colorado game the next night, you'll have a lot better idea of what who this team is if they've won you know if they're five and two by that point um or six and two i guess i'm doing the math yeah six and two uh they maybe you know maybe they're a little better than we gave them credit for and maybe they'll be really good when the injured players come back uh the steens and bowmeisters and bergwins if they 
go on a slide, which is really possible, and end up five and three or four and four, uh, then we might have been right in observing some of the flaws in their four O stretch to start the season, and uh, may have a little more concern with the Blues going forward. But we'll know in a couple of days. That's the fun thing about the hockey season: is it never. Uh, never lets up, never gives us a rest. So we're excited to talk about that. So for uh, the hockey tweet of the week, before we, uh, before I sign off for the night, and thank you for listening to uh, my voice ramble on for a little bit after the podcast. We wanted to make sure to keep you up to date on all the news. Uh, our friend Nick Bear, who is the co-host of the uh, Two Goons podcast that... Uh, we all followed each other on Twitter this uh, week, which means we're now best of friends. Uh, the Sportsnet Canada produced a uh, an article that said, Source, Canadians trying to trade defenseman Mark Strait, or Mark Strait, however you want to pronounce that. Um, and Nick Beer of the Two Goons podcast tweeted and quoted this article and said, quote, Canadians would like to improve while making other teams worse. Uh, I thought that was very funny and worth a retweet and a tweet of the week honor uh, for a hockey tweet of the week. Mark Strait has been a great defenseman at times and I have to say is not anymore. Um, and I think still has a very unfriendly... Oh, he does not have an unfriendly cap hit anymore. He must have finished that contract. Just a $700,000, a million-dollar AAV, but still not a player that uh, really improves your team a lot. So funny funny stuff from Nick Beer. Uh, we're looking forward to following them on Twitter and, and listening to their podcast. Make sure to check them out. Uh, he is at Nick, B-I-N-T-O, at Nick, N-I-C-K-B-I-N-T-O, and they are at Two Goons, T-W-O-G-O-O-N-S, pod, P-O-D, on Twitter. So definitely follow them. You can follow us at Two Guys No Cup. If you haven't already, like, subscribe, etc. on etc. on uh, iTunes and Google Play and all those things. And until next Thursday or possibly Tuesday, thank you. That's been the Two Guys No Cup podcast. Uh, Just one guy tonight at the moment, but still no cup. Uh, So we're good to go there. Thank you for listening, and have a great night.